Hey, welcome to the Bill Kelly Show podcast for Tuesday, June 23rd. My name is Greg Brady, in for Bill all week. We have a great show for you today. I know that because, well, I did it. And a lot of interaction as well with uh, the public, which was great. But we started talking about my son's grade 8 graduation, how it's a little different, and the best time of life to graduate. Kind of, you know, little anecdotal stuff between grade 8, finishing high school, finishing university. Alex Johnstone, an important conversation we had with her, trustee and chair for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. The HWDSB made the call yesterday to end the police liaison program. Not without controversy while it existed and not without controversy now it's gone. And we'll talk to a couple students as well that were all for getting the police out of Hamilton's schools. We'll also talk to Marvin Ryder. He's a professor at McMaster University. We're all working from home just a little bit more than we used to. Some of us a lot more. Does that mean our salaries from our bosses, our employers, are going to change because we're not commuting? We're not using office space anymore. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly podcast right here. Enjoy. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Today, school is officially you know, out for, actually, that's, I don't think that's true. Well, keep playing the music, um, Alicia, if you could. But the, yeah, school year ends technically uh, Friday, I think. And again, if we were all in school right now, in elementary school, you would be, uh, you know, watching movies. You'd be uh, bringing in, like, DVDs. Um, I, I think I brought in a couple Betamax tapes when I went to school. That tells you how long ago it was. And you'd be outside, right? Softball, uh, ultimate frisbee. Not sure that game was even invented then. Like they hadn't invented pickleball then. All you old folks that love the pickleball. That wasn't even a sport. But anyway, my kid today graduates eighth grade. And listen, look, I know it's, you know, you don't have the same reaction if I said, well, he's getting his doctorate today. I'm well aware that, you know, especially in this economy, you should, like, you should pull through and get through grade eight. I'm not going to tell you that I, you know, it, it was a it was a battle. There were ups and downs. Uh, you know, my wife and I would sit there and go, we're not sure if he's going to make it past grade, grade eight. We're not, you know, we have, we have our doubts. Like a lot of parents do. They're like, you sure about this extra year of grad school? Are you sure? My parents talked me out of teacher's college. I wanted to go to Canisius College in Buffalo, New York and go to teacher's college after my undergrad in university. And they said, we're teachers, okay? And I said, yeah, I know. I, I mean, look, look, you got nine weeks of summer every year. You got this lifetime pension. I mean, please, I, l- let's not talk about report cards. Let's not talk about coaching water polo. Let's not talk about field trips. I see how hard you two people work. Actually, that's not very fair. Uh, my parents did, uh, you know, really got it out. But not in the summer. Not in the summer. Like those of you like me that have that scrape and scratch and claw for vacation. How many shows is this of the Bill Kelly show in a row? Seven? I'm exhausted. Like I'm up at, at the way before dawn. So's my producer, Liz Russell. So's Alicia Vieira, the, the technical. I we're bringing it to you on a regular basis. And we are like again, ex, like it's a marathon. It's a soul-crunching marathon every day. I don't think we could fully even describe to you doing a three-hour radio show. But anyway, um, yeah, grade-A graduation for my son, uh, Noel, today. And it got me thinking. 
And I put a poll up, by the way. If you want to participate in the poll, uh, we got some serious stuff to come. There's no question about it. I want to get to this survey, this segment, as a matter of fact, um, and also a discussion about the border. I had a very mm, compelling and uh, informative, rich with energy conversation yesterday with somebody about the Canada-U.S. border and just how long it might be before we can cross again. And uh, he's more of an ex. I defer to him. He finished grade eight with ease. So I defer to him. He, there was no struggles. There were no ups and downs. But it got me thinking. You could participate in this poll, Greg Brady T.O. on Twitter. The three sort of stages that I think most of us go through. I'm sure I'm talking to people that uh, just finished high school, didn't go to university college. And that's, remember, there's a big push to get people into the trades right now. And there, and there should be. Uh, boy, you can make good money there. You're outside a lot, which is fine right now, or maybe it's not because it's hot as hell. But, you know, uh, when you get called to go, uh, you know, fix somebody's roof in uh, early February because some shingles flew off during a snowstorm, I'm sure you get up on that roof and you're like, what am I doing here? I should have gone to university. But but again, those of you with an English degree who uh, have debts to pay off, who are 27 and going... Why am I at Starbucks? We'll also, and th- th- there's not, there's no job that's dishonorable in this economy or any other. Let's put it that way. But you can go and vote at Greg Brady T.O. at the most, uh, the, the best feeling, the best time in your life to graduate. And let's not undersell what grade eight is. Okay. You're 13. You got high school coming up fast. And that's like, there's some adrenaline. And I think, look, high school has changed since I went in the, in the mid to late eighties. You know, you go as a grade nine, you're worried it's all bullies and you're worried about getting stuffed in a locker like like Matt Dillon's going to be there. Like in my bodyguard, he's going to pick you out and, you know, you're going to get like, uh, you know, I milk poured on your head in the cafeteria. So there's a little stress going to grade nine. You're a little you're a little freaked out about that. Right. Um, it's going to be a little like 16 candles. OK. And you're concerned. So there's you got no money, but you don't have to pay for very much in eighth grade. Now let's juxtapose that with high school. Okay, you're dr- you're driving. You should be driving. Again, don't have these big parties, parents, because your kid passes a driver's test. He's supposed to. Like I know we say it's a it's a privilege, not a right. But Jace, I I mean you know if you're flunking driver test after driver test, it's best to probably stay off the road for your entire life. Like there's a window of about 40 years where you're probably a really good driver. Okay. Uh, I grip, you know, if I'm ever in a car with my parents, even if it's in their car, I'm taking over the wheel at this particular point. Let's be honest. Okay. They're in their mid seventies. Okay. They're not, they're not Michael Schumacher here. Okay. They're not, uh, (laughs) you know, they're not Jeff Gordon, but there's pressure in high school, right? I, I think a little bit, if you, if you don't, you know, girlfriends, like you start feeling those. Okay. Like we're having an honest conversation. There's pressure if you don't. Uh, have a girlfriend, I think, and 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 he feels like everybody else does. But the anticipation going to university, downright electric. I, I loved that summer. I loved that summer anticipating university. Uh, because, again, you're pretty sure you're not getting – there's no lockers, so you can't get stuffed into one. I think that's important to, to note. And you can – you know, I think I started at Western, and I had 14 – I was a political science major. I know it's hard to tell from some of my, uh, you know, ramshackle opinions. But I, uh, I had 14 hours of class that first year, and I'm going, this is so easy. I have so much free time to sleep and go out and stay in and then go out again. I, and, then, and then let's go to university quickly. That sense of accomplishment, right? You got an undergrad degree. 
But, but, I think that's the hardest time to be a grad. And I right now, forget about it, right? Who wants to enter the workforce right now at age 23? doesn't matter what the job is. So there's money stress at the best of times when you're finishing university because you got to balance. I worked part-time, waited tables, but it, you know, that's not easy to pull off. I, I think about what my marks could have been uh, had I not had to, you know, work and, and a part-time job. I'm there till 2 a.m. How, how am I going to be ready for a nine o'clock class the next day? I mean, I was up till 2 a.m. last night waiting tables and here I am now. That's not true. But, uh, and, and you're also thinking about where you're taking your relationships. I want to point that out. Um, you know, I, I had a live in, I, I lived with a girl in fourth year university. Okay. And we decided to move in together. She was two years younger than me. I was 23. She was 21. She's not listening. Don't worry. I can say anything I want. And all of it's true anyway. And the thing is when you live with somebody at that age, I, I would recommend it because I think it, it, you know, it matures some of your, your edges, but you also realize uh, what you like and you don't like about the person. And that's a good test. Like if, when my kids, I don't want my kids coming home going, guess what? I'm engaged. And I'm like, can you live with them for two years first? Can you just, you know, like, we're not going to be a family. No, no relatives are going to be like, oh, you're living in sin. You know, you're out of the church. Um, you know, you can't take part in the singing and chanting sessions we have every Sunday. No, there's not, nothing's going to happen like that. But, you know, I'm thinking, where, where are you taking your relationships? I remember my live-in girlfriend at the time, a friend of mine, a female friend, uh, and you can only have so many of those. So there's that to consider, right? And uh, But she ran into the, the girlfriend I lived with's mom at the mall. Remember when we went to malls? And, um, and I'm she, like, house, like she's just making conversation. It, was, it, wasn't a, it should have been a Larry David, like, don't bother, stop and chat. Like, don't do the stop and chat with my, with my girlfriend's mom. But she did. And uh, it, it was like, oh, I, you know, it's serious. I, they've been together a year and a half. I, I'm hearing, and she used the phrase, I'm hearing wedding bells. Oh, my God. And that news gets back to me, and I'm 23, and I'm like, what are we talking about here? No one's talking about wedding bells. No one's hearing them. Uh, no one's ringing them. And we were done like five months later. I'm not saying that was the impetus, but that you know, that got me on my, uh, you know, that started the car engine a little bit to, you know, back out of the parking spot, as it were. That's probably a bad metaphor for what I'm talking about. So anyway, it's grade eight grad today. I'm hoping it doesn't rain. I'm really curious to see that survey. It might be the best time of his life because I know there's parents stressing right now. You got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old. You got three kids at home, online learning. It's like it's been the death of some parent-kid relationships. You know, you're looking at fractions. The math is different. It's all very strange. There's not enough history. There's not enough history in schools these days, people. I know that was my specialty. That was my bread and butter. Um, But science is... (laughs) I think we've learned one thing in the last four months, science and, um, you know, data and biology and stats. That's also important. Also kind of important. So, um, and I was trying to book him on the show today. I know, look, what's worse than putting kids on the radio, a DJ where I lived in London for years. He was, his name was Rich Grevin. He was very good, but now and then he'd put his kid on the radio. My parents would be driving me to school and you know, like, give me, no, sorry. Give me more top 40 songs. Okay. Where's the clash? Where's Holland Oats? Where's Tears for Fears? What are you doing putting your kid on for a seven-minute chat? But I tried to book my kid today. I thought that'd be interesting. And uh, But, I, you know, he sleeps till 12.15 every day. If Scott wants to have him on, that's great. But there's, he's not going to know that much about uh, Noel Keaton Brady, okay? He's not. Not going to know the uh, trials and tribulations of, of getting through eighth grade during a pandemic. 
So, um, you know, you don't want that, I don't think. The last, the only thing worse than kids on the radio is putting parents on the radio. And every time we open the show up for calls, every time I've been working anywhere and open it up for calls, I'm always worried my mom will call in. I, it's happened before. I'm always worried that the screener won't do a good enough job of, uh, of, of spotting that to be the case. All right, so that's survey at Greg Brady T.O. On our way back, uh, and thank you, yes, gifts, Noel's not registered anywhere. You don't have to, like, you know, we're not at Pottery Barn. You don't have to get him anything. A crate and barrel, you don't do that for eighth grade graduations. Stop with the gifts. He asked the other day if his grandparents were getting him something. I'm like, you just wait on that. Those grandparents are locked down. We can't keep those people safe enough. So they're not going out shopping for your eighth grade graduation. Get it together. Like, are you adopted? What's the matter? Am I your real dad? What's the matter with you? All right. That is it. Anyway, it's a very calm household right now. I can tell you that. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Going into schools is something police have done for a long time in a lot of communities. If you remember elementary school... Anytime you'd get a visitor, that was pretty exciting. And and police would come in. Uh, you'd get the fire truck, right, that would come and pull right up in front of the elementary school. All those, to me, always a better visit than uh, than the snake lady. The snake lady would come with snakes and spiders and tarantulas, and that gave me the heebie-jeebies. But the cops, uh, the fire department, you'd get doctors coming in. All that was really intriguing. They're going to suspend that temporarily and review some of the issues. It has not been without controversy and that's getting suspended, by the way, by the uh, Hamilton Public School Board. And that's going to be real interesting to see where this goes. Uh, trustee and chair for the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, Alex Johnstone, is kind enough to join me now to explain some of what went into that. Alex, thanks a lot for taking the time. I appreciate it. Good morning. And um, just a, a quick correction. We actually voted last night to terminate the program. Uh, so uh, the program has come to an end. Uh, the vote was 7-3 last night. And um, with that, um, uh, I want to start by saying that trustees were in debate um, and having uh, our board meeting until midnight last night. Uh, it was a long meeting. It was a very thoughtful dialogue. We had trustees bringing forward um, I feel satisfied that trustees brought forward every viewpoint uh, there is from across the city. Um, this this decision was heavily contemplated, heavily weighed, and with that, a decision was made. I think um, some some of the important points that came out um, from the discussion last night was that if we were to terminate the program, there was concerns around. What have we learned from other boards that have already gone through uh, similar reviews? Uh, so, for example, we learned that in TDSB, um, where they canceled their police uh, program uh, three years ago, that in their report, they actually had the vast majority, over 70% of students, and they had surveyed over 15,000 students, 71% uh, were indifferent. They didn't have an opinion either way about police being in their schools. Um, a, a small minority, um, so they weren't sure. And um, uh, and then the smallest minority, in fact, it was only 7% who said they absolutely wanted police out of their schools. The reason for those feelings was that um, uh, for these youth, they had either had very negative experiences or 
um, they were feeling intimidated, um, many times simply from the uniform or from, um, you know, an, an officer wearing a uniform and carrying a gun in their school. Um, they were uh, feeling targeted. Uh, they were feeling uh, harassed. And now those uh, numbers do come out of Toronto, but I think that the learning there was that what do we do in equity? Is it might is right? Do we go with the majority rule or do we actually try to serve all students? And that's where the discussion headed to last night um, is taking the learnings from other school boards. How do we start um, to embark on the next steps forward? And um, there was also many points raised last night where clear examples where the police have done excellent work in our school, where they have had uh, truly meaningful relationships with students and with staff. Um, another point that was raised is that there is only 11 officers across the entire city serving all school boards and all schools. Um, so for our high schools, uh, really at max, they were in there about uh, one to three times a month, sometimes more. Um, and for elementary schools, it might be you know a few times a year at most. And so... Um, the concern around, you know, how what the impact would be of removing that relationship um, seemed to be nil. Um, so with that, trustees uh, then started turning their minds towards what our next steps would be. And from that, that is where uh, trustees did vote last night. Um, they did do an amendment to the motion, uh, which was to include next steps where we can actually start bringing the community back together on this, uh, I think you called it a controversial item. And uh, so to bring the community back together and start envisioning uh, new programs and supports for our students uh, that ensure that everyone feels uh, safe and supported in our school environment. Okay, okay. Let me ask my first question. One would be uh, elementary and secondary. Was there a distinction in your mind, Alex, between, like I said, going into an elementary school where students wouldn't feel targeted or intimidated. Probably, I, I get it. Probably more so a 16, 17-year-old might feel that way, triggered, if you will, than a 9 or 10-year-old uh, would where they're, you know, where they're forming uh, opinions about what the responsibility of, of law enforcement officers are. Was there that distinction between secondary and elementary? Mm-hmm. I think that, um, so there's a lot of assumptions that we, we want to unpack in that, and that is that, that elementary would feel different. I don't know that that's uh, necessarily true. We certainly have a number of young children that have had negative experiences with police, and uh, and truly not through any um, fault of the police's, but perhaps uh, they went through an apprehension um, when they were young, perhaps um their experience uh, with the police interacting with their family has not been positive. Um, there can be there can be many items there. I think you know where we heard um, stories coming in from students who were having a negative impact. Um, it truly had to do with um, uh, with the whole image, with the um, with the uniform, with the gun. Um, I think that um, that's where over the, you know, over the next month, um, as we prepare to open again, um, we're going to be looking at, um, uh, you know, establishing new programs um, that might be um, connecting with uh, some of our other existing community partners, um, you know, such as John Howard, such as 
um, YM and YWCA. There are so many other community partners that we're going to be working with. And we still have a relationship that's really important that we do need to have with police. And that was something that also came through loud and clear from trustees last night. So, for example, it doesn't mean that police will never be in school. Uh, when there is an emergency, we follow the protocol that's set out by the province, and we do call police. But there was concerns around um, in those moments as well. Um, uh, you know, when our staff were calling police, um, you know, how we how we ensure that child rights and parental rights are being protected, are the parents being informed. Um, what what are the steps that we're taking? Uh, what are we doing to mitigate um, situations uh, before okay. they escalate to those levels? So there was, I, I want to say that uh, there is many questions around around training for our staff, um, but ultimately we will still have a relationship with our with our police. They are valued. Um, they are very much valued partners. Okay, couldn't a parent and, couldn't uh, a parent make the case? that the value they bring uh, in terms of making presentations about drug use, about bullying, about, obviously in high school, um, bullying with phones is an issue. Sexting is an issue. There's an awful lot there. A cop comes in, and there's just going to be a different feel to that message, be it male or female, different feel to that message, Alex, than if mm. a teacher gives it. And those are important things. Right, and and I would I would agree, and I would say it's a different feel when you have other organizations as well, right? So we have so many amazing resources here in Hamilton, um, and one of the things that did come out, for example, who do we invite when into our schools to do a presentation or to have a talk when there's been a hate crime? Um, you know, who is who is the voice that we want speaking to our students? What do what is the lesson that we want taught? And I, I know certainly for hate crime, um, you speak to, um, uh, say, for example, the Simon Wiesenthal uh, Foundation. They talk about um, bringing in compassion, right? Um, we talk about um, uh, the Jewish Federation of Canada, and they talk about their compassion to action. Um, there is a whole variety of organizations that, that we want to be working with and we should be working with. And I think that this is an excellent uh, restart button uh, where we look to um, see what we've been doing, why, and uh, how, we, how we work to reimagine our programming so that everyone can feel that they're a part of it. I mean, the next okay. steps that we now embark on is engagement. So we now are going to be working with our students, working with our parents, working with our community members in order to solicit their feedback and ensure that we're building a system where we all truly feel that we're a part of. Is it your hope that the police take this, uh, how would I put it, the right way? Uh, I can understand, look, we've talked about reform, we've talked about the need to for, for their approach to be a little different. That's going to get solved internally in police forces all across the continent. But I want to I, I know that the police also understand the concept here and they don't feel under siege or, or under attack, as in you're providing valuable things, some of you are taking your own free time to come into our schools, and now we're saying no. We don't want your. We don't want your help. So, and I, I mean, our focus is always on our students. Uh, and when we have students coming to us saying to us that uh, that they don't feel um, they don't feel safe. And again, um, I'm going to go right back to Toronto. Toronto did do a, a full um, 
uh, a full review. They, they surveyed 15,000 students, hundreds of parents and staff. And although it was a minority voice that said they felt uncomfortable, some feeling uncomfortable was not enough. Some having such negative experiences or sorry, was enough. Do you know the percentage? To reduce that change. Do you yep. know the percentage? Um, yeah, so it was in Toronto, 71% said they hadn't had any interactions uh, with uh, the SRO in their school. Okay. Um, they There was 41% that they said that they actually felt that the SRO was trustworthy. Um, 10% said that they felt that they did not feel safe in school. So that was 10%. Okay. And 7% said they absolutely wanted um, the program to end. And this is th- these are hard to understand, hard concepts, because I think that we're used to in society feeling that it's majority rule, that might is right, that, um, uh, that, what, uh, that you can't please everyone. And I want to I push back and say that... Uh, those are stories and narratives that we've told ourselves for a long time, but really and truly we can do work to, to find a better programming that works for, for us all. And at the end of the day, don't we want to build an environment where all of our kids uh, do feel safe coming totally. to our school? Totally. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I got to keep it moving, but I'd love to thank you very much for taking the time. Loved you providing some context to the decision last night and, and like the idea that you're going to go forward and, and look at better ways to do this, Alex. Thanks very much. Thank you. Have a great day. You got it. Alex Johnstone, uh, trustee and chair for Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about the Hamilton Wentworth Board of Education terminating a 25-year partnership, quarter century, with the police, basically. Um, 11 officers going to 200 high school and elementary schools across the entire public board, Okay, giving them lessons, messages about drugs, sexting, uh, other kind of mediation efforts. But some students don't feel comfortable. I would say it's a minority. Um, Alex laid it out there. It's 10%. And, right, I, this is where we're going to be. We're going to argue, and, and I understand it. It's I can see both sides of the argument. If, if any student feels uncomfortable, should we do something? Second argument is if the vast majority of students benefit from it, shouldn't we keep it going? I see both sides. I really, really do. But I but I don't think it's a one-sided fight. That's for sure. Uh, Sabrina Dehab and Ruby High are joining us. They are... Uh, students that uh, are from HWDSB, Kids Need Help. Sabrina, Ruby, thank you very much for spending a, a few minutes today. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Sabrina, let's start with you. What do you think of the program being canceled? What was your reaction to it? Uh, I think this is huge. This is a huge win for community. Um, this was informed. This was led by community. Um, the motion was put forward by community. Uh, we celebrated with community, we fought with community, and we won with community. Um, so I'm really happy about the outcome. I'm incredibly happy that the that the, that that trustees listen to our voices, listen to Black and racialized youth who've been who've been talking for years and decided to terminate the program. Ruby, if you could share with the audience, what was the biggest complaint about the program and the idea of a police officer in an assembly or or in a classroom in Hamilton? What was the biggest complaint? Students felt that police officers were surveilling them. Uh, they felt intimidated by them. Oftentimes, you would see police officers walking uh, alongside administrative staff, and students felt that you know police officers were the muscle for administrative staff and didn't actually serve a role in terms of like quote unquote community building or quote unquote building relationships. 
uh, with students. Okay. Yeah, that, I, I get that. That would, that would make some sense. I brought it up earlier with um, the board member, Sabrina. Would, would we delineate between how a high school student would feel and how someone in fourth or fifth grade would feel? You know, when I'm younger, a lot of our listeners, we remember cops coming into the schools. And, and it, listen, it never gave me pause for concern. It never made me think that this may make some students feel uncomfortable. Would we make that case and say it's a bigger problem at the secondary school level? Um, I would argue that police violence is police violence and does and sort of exists uh, across all sort of like levels of education. It is affecting black youth. It is affecting students in elementary all the way up to secondary. And like this police violence doesn't always like manifest in the traditional ways you understand it. Right. Like there are sure. a lot of other ways that this like criminalization, and the policing of like black and racialized students exist and actually starts when kids are in elementary school and just follows them through this um like three years of, of elementary school into secondary, creating and perpetuating like the school to prison pipeline, right? The criminalization of black youth starts when kids are, when, when people are in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Ruby, what would you say uh, is, a, is there a happy medium to move forward towards? Because I, I, I don't disagree. How can I? You're living your experience. You're sharing the experience that other students are sharing with you. Um, but I'd ask, if, is there a fine line? Are, there are issues about drug use. There are issues about sexting, bullying that, you know, police want to, you know, want to minimize. Any parent would. All students do. Um, is, there a, is there a happy medium that we could find where there's law enforcement involvement? Maybe they're coming into school once in a while in plain clothes. Is there any other way to do this? No, no, uh, there's not a happy medium because you're saying police want to uh, deal with these things, sexting, drug use, bullying, whatever it may be. But there are community organizations that are doing this work. Sasha, Sasha has done trainings, can do trainings, can provide counseling, can do all of the stuff around sexting. There are community organizations that are involved with uh, focusing on rehabilitation and like you know, survivor-centric practices around addiction and drug use. Like, there are things that exist that if we were to expand upon, Mm -hmm. the need for policing would be negated altogether. Okay. The one aspect I would... You're making some great points. The one aspect I would point out is that there must be occasions where teachers, a vice principal, a principal says, there's something that's not legal going on within our school. Okay, uh, they're they're toothless outside of suspending a kid outside of nobody wants to suspend a kid. Nobody wants to expel a kid. There are times when they must contact law enforcement. Maybe they think a kid is being abused at home. Maybe they think there's there's violence going on inside the school. And you guys know there's a gym teacher, a geography teacher. They can't do anything about that, per se. Um, I think there needs to be conversations around like. So police aren't solving crimes at all. Police are just responding to issues, right? How do we deal with crimes at the roots? How are we supporting youth who are dealing with some of these issues that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. How are we supporting youth that are dealing with abusive homes? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we create spaces for them um, where they're supported, where they're loved and cared for in school? That's not inviting cops into schools, right? Mm-hmm. That is having social workers present to support them. That is having caring adults and caring mm-hmm. teachers in their schools, right? Mm-hmm. If we're dealing with with issues at the root, if we're understanding some of the issues that youth are dealing with and and being faced with in their schools, and we're addressing those issues at the root, then there there doesn't need to be a a police presence in schools. We need to move beyond this sort of uh, 
this, this, this notion that cops protect youth or cops yeah. protect, um, protect us against crime because it's not the reality. You don't feel cops? Okay, I'm asking. There must be some, you know, it, I, I understand the concerns. I understand the systemic need to change a ton of how police operate. I'm, I'm with you a thousand percent there. But hearing the statement, um, that tells you the level of, of disconnect and, and lack of trust that's there. If you say cops don't help prevent crimes, that's something some people would disagree with. But your experience, you don't feel that way. So we have had cops for how long, right? Like crime rates have not gone down at all, right? Like we have talked to black youth who have been carted in the hallways of their schools. We've talked to black youth who have been falsely arrested in the hallways of their schools, mm-hmm. right? That's not preventing crime. That's wrong. That's You're criminalizing, right. That is criminalizing a segment it's of youth based on race. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are criminalizing them. You are mm-hmm. perpetuating a, a school-to-prison pipeline. You are destroying the future of these youth. I appreciate both you guys coming on, and congratulations. I, I know that's something going forward that you'll work, uh, you know, you want a better community, you want better schools, you want students to feel safer. I thank you very much for the time today. Thanks for having us. You got it. Sabrina Dahab, Ruby High. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, if you're working from home, you've noticed some differences in your existence. That's quite obvious, and there was a story a couple days ago, Canadian press story no less, that suggested that if you're working from home and you're staying at home, okay, you were previously in the office, maybe even three, four days a week, not all the time, that your salary may change, that your employer, your boss, right, we all are we all going to feel some kind of crunch if we haven't already, and many have, that your boss is going to say, hey, you're at home now, a lot less expenses, and we're going to, you know, cut, you know, give you a little haircut off the top because you don't have to commute. Because you don't have to park. You're making your own coffee. You're not going and spending four bucks at Starbucks every day. There is that. The counteract to that is workers are saying, okay, yeah, you you got me there on the gas prices. You got me that I'm not on the go train anymore. But guess what's going up? Hydro. Internet. I got to renovate my house to make a proper office because kids are home a lot. There's a lot of, again, two sides to this argument. Many, many sides to it. Let's bring in uh, our guest to uh, let us know what he's his thoughts on such a suggestion and, and, and sort of the way this will go is. Marvin Ryder is a business professor at DeGroote School of Business at Mac. Uh, professor Ryder, I appreciate the time today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Glad to be with you. Yeah, happy, uh, happy we could get you. Uh, I'm really curious to get your expertise on this issue. Did I frame it? Uh, would you add anything to the framing it that there's an argument to be made for the worker that his or her costs are going to go up at home? There's an argument to be made for the employer you're spending less to work. Right. So let me take you back a year uh, to a year ago at this time. If you applied for a job, the compensation for the job was the job you did. So if you're a programmer, you get paid this amount of money. If you're a, a nurse in this situation, you get paid this amount of money, what have you. And one of our key founding principles was Work, uh, equal pay for work of equal value. So every nurse would earn the same salary, every programmer would earn the same salary, and then you would make a decision about your own personal cost of living. Uh, if that job was in Toronto and you felt you could swing it, you might rent a condo in Toronto and, and do that job. There were other people who said, well, I, I think I can save money. I'm going to base myself in Hamilton, which has a cheaper cost of living, but to do that, I'm going to have to buy into this idea of an hour commute each direction or maybe an hour and a half commute, and I'm prepared to do that. And that was your choice. That was your choice given the pay from the employer. Now, what we're beginning to hear are some employers saying, 
hmm, this is interesting. I wonder if I can save a couple of dollars by moving to compensation based on location, not based on the job, but based on the location. So, for instance, if you telework, you work from home and then connect to the office somehow or another, and you choose to live in a low-cost place like Guelph, well, why am I paying you the same amount of money as I'm paying someone who lives in a higher-cost area like Milton or maybe in in Mississauga or parts of Toronto? Uh, Maybe I should adjust the compensation. Now, it's a lovely, uh, shall we call it, thought exercise <laughs> to, to talk about compensation based on where you live or based on location or based on your own personal cost of living. But uh, uh, some years ago, my niece and her husband decided to have a second child, and she went to her employer and said, now look, my costs have gone up now that I have two children. Will you give me a raise? And he said, what have you done for me lately? Oh, That's boy. your choice. That That has nothing to do with the compensation. And so I think it is a false story to go down this road and say that because some people are able to live more economically and working from home saves them a couple of bucks, I should suddenly be able to reduce the compensation. You very much get into this point that suddenly people doing the same job could be earning tens of thousands of dollars differently depending upon where they were, and I just don't think that that's going to fly. No, I think you make amazing points there. And you can you can imagine in Toronto, there are people that say, well, i got to live on the subway line. I want to be there, but their costs are high. Like you said, they, they, you know, they want to have two or three kids. They don't have the same amount of space to have those two or three kids. So a lot of people you know, flee to the suburbs, if you will, once they hit parenthood, once they get out of their 20s. They don't want to pay rent. They want to own, and the city's too expensive. But for those people that are on the subway line now that made that decision, they're kind of stuck. If You're right. Their employer is going to say, you know, we're going to, we're going to cut you a little bit here because there's no office to come to anymore. And they're thinking – why, why did I decide to live 10 minutes from the office? There's right. no office that exists. Well, can I also say that um, some of this confusion that's being created is that we are starting to reopen and go back to something. The question is, are we going back to the old normal or the new normal? And I dare not suggest that I speak on behalf of the entire school of business. My colleagues are quite divided on what the future is going to look like. Uh, the future may see us all quarantine from home and continue to work from home. This fall at McMaster, we are going to be teaching online. And, and in theory, I can be doing that from my home, not from my office. I might not have to go into that multi-million, if not billion-dollar infrastructure that was built in the West End of Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, what is that going to mean? Now, my personal feeling is that most of us, liked the old normal. It worked for us on some basis and that we're going to want to go back as close as possible to the old normal. Maybe we won't get there in July, maybe we won't get there in August, but that's something we're going to keep working towards. For me, I like the idea of work being at work and home being at home, and I don't like mixing them because then I never leave my work behind a sort of a mental stress thing, whatever, I used to be able to lock the door and say, well, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Now I never stop dealing with it. So I, I don't know. And so this is where, again, I think Mark Zuckerberg in, in Facebook suggested to his employees that, you know, there are some cheaper places in California to live and more expensive places to live. If if you live in one of those cheaper places, I'm going to cut your salary. I was wondering when he said this, if he was going to increase the salary if they chose to live in a more expensive place. Suddenly, I don't think he said that. And I'm also not sure that that's the new normal. It might be for the next month or two, 
But ultimately, there was a reason why we acted the way we did, and I think that's what we're going to want to get back to. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you know, there's there's a delineation between the jobs that exist right now and then the jobs that exist in the future. We we may see companies saying, "Well, I don't need to pay those high real estate costs. I don't need to be you know sitting there right at Young and Blur uh, in downtown Toronto. I you know I need you know we we can shave our office down by 60, 70 percent because we've realized and we didn't test it out before." How much work and how much productivity, though, again, as you know, it's very it's a flawed process. How much of that productivity can be done in people's houses? Well, and how productive are we really? You know, this is this normal that we're in right in the moment is all of three months old. I'm not aware of any studies that have definitively said we are just as productive. Uh, the, the assumption is that those people who did not lose their jobs, the work somehow at the bank or at the university or at, a, at some other o- operation is getting done. But is it getting done efficiently? Is it getting done well? We all went into this to say, well, what do we have to do to get by? And therefore, we are fine in the get-by mode. But is this going to be the new normal? And, and I, I think there's got to be a little more work done before, after just three months of experimenting, we declare the the experiment a great success and that this is the the future and we're all going to be working from home. I'm, I'm just not sure of that. Now, having said that to you, there's one other thing to throw in here, and that is that if you do have to work from home, suddenly there are certain tax advantages to working from home. Yeah. You can designate a room in your home as your office. You can write off, a, well, say that's one, you have eight rooms in your house, one of eight rooms now, so one-eighth of your hydro bill can be put towards that. You can write off various expenses. And I think next year when it goes to filing taxes, it's going to be great fun to see people trying to figure out how they can take advantage of this situation. It's just, again, are you doing this as a get-by situation to get this back to the old normal, or is this the new normal? I think it's just still far too early to say. Uh, one more for you, Professor Ryder, and yep. it, re- it relates to all of our university experiences. I, I know I benefited. I was a politics major. I benefited from office hours, being able to come in and say, I want to know what you want from me on this essay. I want to I want to clarify. I mean, you know, maybe I was brown-nosing. I don't know. But, uh, but I was coming in to say, I want clarification on something or or this mark. Explain this to me. That's that's a that's a huge benefit, right? Kids pay an awful lot for university, and at the same time, they may not be getting. Can, are you going to be able this fall? Are other professors going to be able to do that via Zoom? Are you going to be able to like FaceTime and quality time is is going to be minimized in this new environment? Well, that's that actually becomes a very interesting question. Uh, take take McMaster, uh, about uh, 20% of our student population is international. Will those international students be based in Canada, or am I going to be dealing with them 24 hours a day? In other words, if you are from China and have chosen to stay in China but take courses at McMaster this fall, when you might want to talk to me, it could be 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, my local time, am I prepared to do those office hours at that time? Um, uh, what, you know, if I'm going to have you do a project, and right now I'd have you work with, quote, a local business. And when I say that to you, you think of a local restaurant or retail store, but now maybe that local store is in Ghana, or maybe that local store is in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, am I prepared to do that? How do I handle that? Again, as, a, as well, we'll get through that somehow for three months, and then we'll go That's back. Right. That's one way of handling it, but if this is the new normal... 
and I'm just not sure we know exactly what these new normals are going to be. In many cases, it's, a, it's learning on the job all over again, learning by doing. We're going to give it a try, and then as these problems arise, hopefully people of good character will find workaround solutions for everybody. Fantastic. Uh, I really appreciate the time. Good luck. Uh, enjoy your summer, and good luck in the fall. Thank you. Nice hope chatting can, with you. Hope we can talk again. Uh, Marvin Ryder, business professor at uh, DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. I like that guy. I might go back. I might go. It's not too late. Rodney, I'm way younger than Rodney Dangerfield and back to school. I might. I don't know if I can still apply in the fall. I uh, I was not a good business student. I'll just put it that way. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Craig Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.